We are so brainwashed to think that thin bodies are the essential healthy body. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. All right, while I am away at the IADEP conference, we are doing a repost, and Kate's pick for a repost is this episode with Sumner Brooks. And who is Kate? Stay tuned. You'll hear more about her in future episodes. The reason Kate chose this is because of the release of the American Academy of Pediatric Standards, AAP, and how this affects kids, kids eating, weight, weight stigma, and eating disorders. And our guest book on how to raise an intuitive eater with food and body confidence is just so excellent. Keeping in mind this does not just affect kids. How many of our clients are taking injections, having surgeries, and all for weight loss right now. Okay, enjoy this episode, this repost with Sumner Brooks. All right, today we're talking with Sumner Brooks, registered dietitian, certified eating disorders dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, author of a new book, creator of EDRD Pro. Can I go on and on and on? I could, and I will just point you over to the bio and the links in the show notes. You are going to get a sense of who Sumner Brooks is when she shares a very vulnerable and sad moment with us in the very beginning of this podcast. And here you're also going to notice that her you can hear her dog in the background and I have my own opinion about the empathy that her dog is sharing or showing us all as Sumner reveals this very vulnerable moment but I also have an appreciation for dogs and I'm a dog person so you can make fun of me if you feel like I'm going a little too far with that sixth sense that dogs have anyways like so many of our guests in Sumner's work experience in weight-centric circles helped her know she was not going to do that in her career. She reminds us that there's always more that we don't know. We're always making mistakes. Her book teaches us it's not about kidding kids to eat their vegetables. That's not what healthy eating is. And that there are three keys. And and one thing, this is not one of the keys, but one thing that I capitalized was how not to disturb mental health with food what to do with resistant parents and she helps Abby learn how to take care of ourselves as clinicians and she gives us a little clue of how she would handle resistance and in the book there's medical conditions covered exercise and physical activity she wants to make it clear this is not an eating disorders text this episode is brought to you by me and my supervision community for professional development 
or certification in eating disorders. My groups are closed until January 2023, but I'm available for individual consultation. In this podcast, we bring in medical, nutritional, and therapy professionals who share their passions, and that's to pique your interest in available modalities in the field of eating disorders. This show is intended to inform and educate. It is not a substitute for professional training and supervision required to specialize in the treatment of eating disorders, nor is it a substitute for medical, nutritional, or psychological advice from a professional or specialist. We hope you enjoy. All right. Welcome to you, Sumner Brooks. We are really honored to have you join us on the season, Darty. Hello, Beth and Abby, and I'm super pleased to be here. Thank you for the invitation. All right. Well, just to ease you in with some icebreaker questions, mountains or beach? Oh, mountains. That was fast. (laughs) There was no question. <laughs> no, yeah, I am mountains. Uh, it's kind of like very life giving to me, oh, being in the I, trees and the forest and the clean, mm-hmm. fresh air. Mm. And you're in? Are you in Oregon? Yeah, I'm. I'm from the Pacific Northwest, so mm-hmm. that probably has something to do with it. Don't have mm-hmm. anything against the beach, but if I had to pick, got it. Take me to the mountains. <laughs> so our second icebreaker question for you: breakfast or dinner? Oh man, you know, okay. After I gave myself three seconds on that one, dinner for sure. Yeah. We've been getting a a lot of dinner lately. Mm, Mm -hmm. So more savory. Yeah. I mean, that's tough though, because coffee is definitely one of my favorite food groups. (laughs) Um, But if I'm thinking about solid food, (laughs) dinner, dinner, savoriness, spaghetti, crunchy. I need texture. All that good stuff comes to me in dinner. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is audiobook or paper book? Paper. Okay. Yeah, I try. I mean, I do. Actually, I have never listened to an audiobook and not even how to raise an intuitive eater, which I need to do. But I've done a lot of, you know, Kindle reading, which yeah. I love the convenience of because I can have 20 books with me at once. But I love to hold the books. Yeah the paper. There's just something about it. Mm -hmm. And that's what this podcast is bringing in the kind of the old and the new and the technologies and things. And it's also like, we didn't have audiobooks. We didn't have Kindles back in the day. So you're a registered dietitian, certified eating disorders and a supervisor. So we have some people who are preparing to take their RD exam. Can, do you have a story or something that you can share about that day? Do you remember anything about that? I have kind of a sad story. I mean, it's the story I think of, you know, growth and healing, but yeah, I have vivid memory of the night before my exam. I, I lived alone in this tiny little studio in Venice beach, California. I did my internship at the UCLA, and West LA VA hospital. And I binged so badly the night before my RD exam. And I had so much shame around that experience. And I almost didn't go to take my exam that next oh morning. Oh my gosh. It was no, really I just got distressing. chills with that story. That's sad. It I is know. Sad. I think about my, you know, my young, younger self and going through that and feeling so conflicted at that like very important point in my life 
And I mean, I've, I've done a lot of reflecting on that and thinking about that, but I really, you know, I was really struggling with disordered eating and binging and over-exercising and all kinds of things at, at that time. And I know that I'm not the only one. It's, it's not an uncommon thing for dietitians mm-hmm. to be struggling with this, as we know. And at that time, I didn't have the tools and the support and the resources to really understand what I was going through. But I surely won't forget that. And that was a really hard day for me. But also at the same time, so relieved to walk out of there when it was over. (laughs) So why did you decide, think that you were, why did you decide to end up going? Because you were holding back. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a three. Enneagram. Enneagram. Okay. (laughs) I was not going to not go to take my test. I had to go and pass that test. Mm -hmm. Wasn't really an option. I didn't want to go. I didn't Mm -hmm. feel good. I was depressed. I felt Mm -hmm. terrible at the same time. You know, you show up and you do what you need to do. do. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. That's very, you know, the other cool thing I think about this podcast is that we are introducing the idea of supervision for, especially for dietitians. We don't have to have that like therapists do for, for work within the mental health field. And vulnerability is super important. We have to show up in the room as the human that we are and in all of our imperfections and struggles. But again, like you said, that helped you do the things that you're doing. So how did you get into the field of dietetics and then eating disorders? Mm -hmm. I think it was, you know, I think we have these little seeds that are planted in us throughout life. My parents were always very, very focused on like growing food. And, you know, we had a garden at home, like food was always a part of I felt very important, you know, in life. And there was an element of that that was very diet culture rooted. So not surprising that it kind of led me to wanting to be a dietitian. But I also have a very clear memory of the moment when I realized you could be a dietitian. I was taking a general nutrition course at University of Oregon, and I was just miserable in the rain. Even though I was from here, I was just like, I got to get out of here. (laughs) And I took this class, General Nutrition 101, and it was taught by a wonderful dietitian who was very food neutral, very positive. And I was like, oh, you can be a dietitian. That's clearly what I need to do. So started looking up West Coast, you know, food and dietetics programs. And I ended up at San Diego State and finished my undergrad down there. But really, I describe my history with food and body as a really quite dysregulated and disordered from quite a young age. So I think I was working through how to help myself, how to solve this problem I had for so long. And I was also, you know, always really interested in science and kind of had a part of me that wanted to go pre-med and wanted to be a doctor and then kind of settled on nutrition. And, um, I thought that I wanted to go into corporate nutrition settings and I did do that for a few years. And then I became a certified sports specialist dietitian and did that for a few years and connecting with people who had eating disorders was always where I just felt the best. And I felt like my purpose was, and obviously where I could connect and, 
empathize with what people were going through. And my very first job as an RD was at uh, Cedar sinai Center for Bariatric Surgery and absolutely had just incredible compassion for the people that I was screening for surgery. I remember young patients coming in who were just getting ready to turn 18 and were very excited for their surgeries. And, you know, it was just tears and tears and tears every time of what these patients, what these people were experiencing from weight stigma and from chronic dieting and eating disorders. And I learned so much in that position about what I was never going to do as a dietitian. Like half of that job was running a medical weight loss program of, you know, boxed food and very low calorie diets that nobody could sustain. Mm -hmm. They had like kind of people who would cycle through the program over and over and come back. And it was, it was really, it was really harmful. And Mm -hmm. I, I just could not do it that long, but I certainly walked away from that job knowing what that harm looks like and that I was never going to be a part of that again. See how these experiences do help define our purpose. And now because of your history and your background and so many professionals in this field started in the bariatric surgery or the weight management world. And that's where you were able to develop some of your compassion and that you, your determination that you weren't going to treat others that way. Yeah. And realizing how many people are really suffering and how different eating disorders look and appear and manifest. And just that we need to look at every human and especially every human who's dieting through this lens of weight loss is not the answer and it's never going to be the answer to well-being or health or happiness. And those are, I think, really important things that dietitians should be learning early on that really just gets missed in a lot of cases, but that is so important. If we are really the ones sitting down in the room one-to-one with the job of trying to help someone, we need to understand the kind of the full scope, right? Of what, what people are going through. I think it's nice for anyone listening to hear you talk about your career path and, you know, you didn't automatically just start working in eating disorders. They feel so many of us dietitians, especially are, you know, very type A, I've got to find my career and I'm sticking with this job for the rest of my life. And it just hearing you say that you can try different things, you can end up feeling and thinking different things is okay. And it's kind of just a part of it. Very reassuring. Yeah, it's totally an unfolding. I mean, after that, I went into corporate nutrition and was running, you know, wellness programs at some really big, really big Fortune 500 companies and working with just, you know, really intelligent, hardworking, determined people. And that was a very different setting from the medical and bariatric setting, but running up into the exact same things, right? So much distress about weight, so much, quote, failed dieting, unsuccessful dieting. And I had the task of running these lunchtime, like weight loss groups where like they'd be 12, 12 week series. So I, that was about the time when I had come to start knowing intuitive eating. And 
started like reading all of Evelyn Triboli's books and like really, you know, going through intuitive eating for myself. And I worked into this slide presentation of this 12 week weight loss class, the intuitive eating principles. Once a week, I would introduce one principle. And at the same time where people were coming in and weighing themselves, it must've been very confusing (laughs) for these people, (laughs) but I could also see how captivated and interested people were in talking about intuitive eating. So I think I like to tell myself there were some helpful things <laughs> that I helped people with at the same time was like totally still missing the mark and really not knowing what I was doing yet. But you do have to start somewhere. And that is the way that we learn and evolve is, you know, we put start putting things into practice and we need to always remember that there's more that we don't know, right? You know, there's always more to learn and we are always making mistakes and we need to be honest with ourselves about those mistakes and do better. So you're, you are also a certified intuitive eating counselor and I love your, I wrote this down and circled it. Weight loss is never going to be the answer. We think it is as a culture, we've been, it's been crammed down our throats since I just had a new client this morning who was lovely and in her 60 or so some odd years of life, she's been into every diet from a very young age, right? A young age. And she's trying to break free of that. And she's, she's doing a, a really good work. And she's trying, she had tried to bring up her kids in that way so that they don't end up in my office, right? I mean, like, I think some people will say, I want to put myself out of a job. I do, I would love to put myself mm-hmm. out of a job, but with all of the harm that's being done, it's going to be a long path. I'll hopefully be retired by then. But that brings me to your book. And this is one reason I invited you on here, besides that you're just so cool and that the EDRD Pro, I want to talk about that because that is a game changer. But your book, How to Raise an Intuitive Eater, Raising the Next Generation with Food and Body Confidence. I bought several of these just because I think they're going to be great gifts for people. I've already given some of them out. I've had some of my interns review it, all with great praise. So tell us about the book. Yes, thank you so much. I'm so glad you love it and we're Amy and I, my uh, Amy's my co-author, we are hearing that from dietitians, that, that it's really resonating and that it's really helpful to be able to have some language to use when working with families and talking to parents about promoting and supporting kids to have a healthy relationship with food and body. So that's, that is what this book is about. It is not how to get your kids to eat vegetables. It is not how to get all kids to end up to be the same, you know, free, flexible eater. It's really about, you know, and I'm kind of noticing that I'm needing to to remind people of the goal of this book. Sometimes people who aren't familiar with intuitive eating, because I think the assumption that is conditioned into parents in our culture is that a healthy relationship with food and body means that you're eating a lot of vegetables. (laughs) And that's not the goal of this book, because as, as you and I know, Eating vegetables is not what creates health and well-being. We need to have this whole piece of this pie 
way of this relationship with food and body and nutrition. And one of the big parts of that pie is to be able to be at peace with food, be comfortable with food and eating, to connect with people over food, to continue traditions and culture with food, and not to disturb our mental health with food. So we had a lot of fun sort of coming up with what the structure and the model of this was going to look like. And that was really the the first part of this project. But I think that's an important thing to talk about because the center of the book is this three keys model of how to raise an intuitive eater. So it introduces caregivers to what we summarize is the three big things. And one is to have unconditional love and support for your child's body, which we go into a lot, which is really kind of capturing the emotional psychological part of this process. The second part is to implement a flexible and reliable feeding routine which incorporates the division of responsibility. It incorporates how structure is really protective and essential and important for kids because they are not developmentally capable of planning meals, knowing when to eat, preparing foods, all of those things. So that's kind of the more operational, maybe technical part of the feeding relationship. And then the third key is to develop and use your own intuitive eating voice. And the intuitive eating voice is not just the words we use to talk about food, although that's part of it, but it's also everything about how we communicate with kids about food and body. So it's body language. It's responding to questions and comments. It's how we talk about food and body generally. We give a lot of examples of, you know, real life questions and scenarios and phrases, and then sort of the why behind we're suggesting what we're suggesting. So I'll stop there, but that's, that's really the heart of the book. And then of course it's cushioned by a lot of other stuff. Yeah, it's packed. It is packed and I love it. I wrote down not to disturb our mental health with food. And I put that in caps. That's powerful. Like how can we, and we know that when we don't have that weighing down our brain space, that we can live a more full life. So for a child who's developing and growing to keep that open and free. Yeah, right. That's being able to to trust that this is a pretty natural human process and it's something that, that kids are capable of doing. And it's something that adults are capable of doing is eating without a lot of rigidity and rules and fear of food and fear of weight gain. Mm -hmm. All of those things I just mentioned are really built into our current social climate when it comes to food and they really do hold us back. It really does have an impact on anxiety, depression, confidence, mental capacity, relationships. And on the one end of that spectrum of the problem is severe eating disorders, which is talked about. And unfortunately, there's this thing called the awareness gap, which we talk about a lot in the book, which is that 
parents know that eating disorders exist, but they don't really know about eating disorders. They don't really know how they're showing up when someone's not diagnosed with one. They don't really understand that eating disorders can happen to anyone. They don't really understand what the warning signs are or how disastrous it can be for a child's life to have an eating disorder. So kind of like our culture knows about eating disorders, but there's all these stereotypes about them. And then what we wanted to do is really inform parents and caregivers about what this is, what we're talking about. This is not, we're not talking about stereotypes and myths and just helping educate people so that they can know the warning signs, know what could be helpful, what could be supportive, maybe preventative. We also know we don't have total control over who's going to develop an eating disorder. It's not just that social circumstances. It's not just your family or your culture. There's bio, biological factors and, and lots of different factors, right? We're still even learning about them. We have to admit, we don't know. We're still working on it. How do you deal with getting resistance from parents about this idea? Because like you said, we have been trained for so long to think a certain way about food and there's good and there's bad. And so what do you do with the resistance? Yeah. Oh, that is, it's really, it's really tough because I come across it, you know, not just professionally, but personally all the time. So what do I do? Well, I try to take care of myself when I can see that there's some pretty strong resistance coming up right now. I try to take a minute to think about, you know, what can I do here? Should I do anything? Do I need to do anything? I think some of the things I've learned are to do more listening. So to try to understand what this person is really saying or questioning, maybe where they're coming from so that I can have a better understanding of, am I being attacked right now? Right. Cause that's usually my, my first instinct is like defend, you know, defend myself. And so, you know, just kind of slowing down in those moments, it's, it's can be, you know, it's different if you're in the room with a family or, you know, a parent that is really seeking help and needs clarity and needs you to explain and understand and how this applies to their child. It's different when you're in a personal social, social situation, but so of those two, which one do you want us to talk about more? Well, selfishly, I'm thinking of like the family is in the room because that's what I deal with a bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it's really important to, when you notice any resistance coming up to remember that that's coming from a place of wanting to know, wanting to have answers, wanting to feel safer, wanting to be reassured. And so I would be looking for, looking for the pieces of information that might not be clear or also be really validating to that person. I know this sounds really different. I can see you have some questions about this. I'm happy to spend as much time talking about this as we need to. Can I send you some more information? Which, what kind of resources would be most helpful for you? I know this is hard to kind of relearn or unlearn a lot of things about nutrition. Let's remember this isn't all or nothing. This isn't black and white. So I think what you're wanting to do is really hear what that person is coming up against and try to address that for them and, and being really aware that this is never an individual's own 
you know, work that they've done to get to that place. It's what they've been taught. And so I think sometimes parents get very scared and naturally defensive because they start realizing that there might be some things they could be doing differently. And I think that's a really scary thing for a parent. And as a parent, I would probably feel the same way. Mm -hmm. So if we can really show the compassion there that can help them help it land a little bit better. Okay. That is helpful. And it, it's definitely uncomfortable at first, you know, to get that resistance. And I mean, I at least feel like, geez, am I crazy for saying this? Like, am I saying the right things here? But then I try to remind myself of like the kiddo sitting there. And this is probably the first time they've heard information like this and just their little sponge brains are probably eating it up, or at least that's what I hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having this book out in the world, I've asked myself, am I, am I wrong here? Like, you know, like so many times because of how hard it is for people to believe it, honestly, that, I mean, that's how, I don't know if brainwashed is the right word, but it's a word that, that, that resonates with me. It's like, we are so brainwashed to think that thin bodies are the essential healthy body. We are so brainwashed to think that, you know, sugar is this terrible demon that, you know, kids naturally want, you know, so we're sitting there saying, you know, sugar is something that is really natural and normal for a child to crave, you know, knowing that they utilize a lot of carbohydrate for their energy needs. And that's a really normal thing for a child to gravitate towards. And then you have a parent looking at you like you are the only dietitian in the world that would say it's okay for my child to eat sugar. I don't trust you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's awesome a tough feeling. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think Abby, we talked about M&Ms on one, something, I don't know, one of our, and then um, yesterday, Abby's like, and what is it with these damn sweet potatoes. And I'm like, yeah, it was kale before that. And it was something else before, like everyone migrates to this superfood or whatever they think it is. So I, you know what I really loved? I loved everything you two were just talking about as noticing that resistance and then taking care of yourself. Sumner, you're persona is just so comforting. And so I know that you've done a lot of you, you do a lot of teaching too. And so it is important to take care of ourselves as the clinician, when we're coming up against that resistance, or if we feel like we're the only dietitian in the world, if, if, if you question yourself and say, what if I am, and you know, you're not, Mm -hmm. but intellectually, you know, but you still have it in your nervous system showing up. So taking care of yourself as well as just listening to the family, to the kiddo, to the, and, and Abby, I agree with you. I think sometimes those, those younger folks in the room, that's, they're like, they've never heard it before either, but it's like, oh my gosh, she's throwing me a life fest. Somebody is seeing me. Somebody's hearing me. Yeah. And sometimes you can even notice, like if you do have two caregivers or two parents in the room, you might notice that they have very different reactions to what they're hearing. 
I don't know. I always just think that's so interesting because it shows how much our own individual experiences form our conclusions, our beliefs, our mindset, you know, whether we're open-minded or closed-minded, defensive or not, right? So when you get that opportunity to see how different people are reacting to the same thing, it's it's reassuring, you know, that you're not kind of this just way out there losing your mind. You got to find a different career <laughs> type of thing. But um, for that. <laughs> the other thing I talk about a lot is that if if you're someone who experienced food and body distress or weight stigma as a young person, you absolutely understand how important this stuff is. And if you're someone who never experienced any of that stress or harm, it's such a privilege. And it was so protective to be in an environment and, or maybe in a body that had a lot of privilege. And people often don't realize that how protective that was to not have been, let's say, raised, raised on diets. And so all of that comes into the room when you're talking to parents, their experience is probably the biggest, you know, influence on how they're receiving the information you're talking about. And they're not prepared to admit that or acknowledge that or talk about that at all, because you're there for their kid. This is their child's problem. So in our book, even before we get to the three keys model, we have an entire section, three chapters on the caregiver's relationship and history with food and body, because that's how important that is. In order to do something for our kids, we first have to make sense of our own past and our own experiences. Yeah. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. Mm -hmm. And how much energy is behind that and emotion is behind that as you were talking about how your words said amongst three different people could be heard in three different ways. I was out to breakfast with some folks on, on Sunday and uh, someone was going back to the airport, going home. Anyway, the conversation ended up being, did you say 10 minutes to the airport? And somebody said, no, I said 20. And all of us were just talking back and forth about one of them was, is an attorney. And she had said, see how it's so hard to have a jury when we're sitting here, there's only four of us and we all have a different story. So then you add the emotion of, I don't want my kid to get fat or I don't want them to be whatever. And it's protecting. And I'm saying that in quotes, there's so much emotion in the room or the eating disorder. Is it really as bad? They're just eating healthy. They're just exercise, you know, that they're doing something healthy. Yeah. So much cognitive dissonance with, you know, when they've heard something 10,000 times, and then they hear something one time that's going to take, it's going to take a while for yeah. them to kind of turn that ship around and understand. And I, and, and when we can even validate that for them, you know, this is what we're here that. to support you with. This can take a long time. I've worked with many families who feel this exact same way. The first time we start to uncover some of this. We don't have to change everything in one week. Let's look at what we can start doing today. But really, 
You know, I think we have to just be such good listeners and we have to look for the clues and identify what that parent needs to move them one step forward. Even the part of what you just said, and you said, I don't know if the brainwashed is the right word, but when you said you hear something 10,000 times, that really... I envision the neural pathways just really settling. And that first time that they hear it is going to be, wow, no. And I use the example of the earth is flat. You know, it was either you can have the argument and some people still believe it's flat, even though we have, but, but, you know, that that's an argument that has been ingrained into people's heads and that, it's going to take some time and some patience and understanding of where the, the roots came from. But also, you know, for us as dietitians and, and eating disorders is, is trying not to do that harm. All foods fit, no good, bad, all bodies are good bodies. Although sometimes even when, as I'm saying some of these phrases, I know that cancel culture may may just ding me for it because I'm not saying it just right. And and it's so hard. It's just so hard to do that. So your book is a really great, it's in, you know, paper, handwriting, people will be highlighting different areas. I've shared this book with others and and I can tell which pages are are more used. They didn't Mm -hmm. highlight it, but, and these are new dietitians coming into the field. So it's an important text actually. Yeah. Thank you. We did. We tried to cite everything that we could. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So tons of resources in there. And we just tried to include like, like almost as many of the pieces that come into this conversation as we could, you know, as we have a whole chapter on certain medical conditions and intuitive eating questions, we have a chapter on exercise and physical activity and kids and the questions that come up around that. A lot of information about eating disorders, although we do clearly state this isn't an eating disorder treatment resource, and, but, but still we felt it was so important to educate you know, people about eating disorders. So moving into the eating disorders world, and, and as we wrap up our conversation today, you founded EDRD Pro five years ago. Yeah, we're having our five-year anniversary celebration this month, actually. Congratulations. Thank you. It's been a busy five years, but it's so incredible now to have like a wonderful team of people working with me. It was just me in the beginning wearing all the hats and just driving myself insane. (laughs) And, but it's, it's wonderful. We've got this awesome community of dietitians around the globe. We've got courses and study groups. And it's a really fun way to connect with other dietitians. And we welcome students or seasoned eating disorder dietitians. We actually also have health coaches and nutritionists in the group. We don't want to exclude anyone from getting this education if they want it. And we have a growing library of all of the webinars that we produce so that anytime you're a member, you can log in and look at all of the past webinars and get CEs for those. And it's just, it's been a really incredible five years and I look forward to what's coming up. 
Yeah, it is one of those things that I was so involved in some other corporate organizations that I wasn't dipping my toe into EDRD Pro. And in the past two years, I'm just blown away with everything that's offered. Like you mentioned, there's a, there's webinars and there's other things. And, and we are not taught this as, as dietetics professionals, as health coaches, even physical therapists, personal trainers, any, anyone in healthcare can benefit from, from membership. And I'm not trying to sell it. I'm just trying to tell you all listeners how much I'm blown away now that I've been able to, like I said, dip my toe into it. That's all I've been able to do um, because there's so much there. So Sumner, what's coming up? And yeah, we have, we have some exciting stuff coming up and we always have new webinars for part of the membership series, but in addition to the membership, we have some courses. So we have a new symposium coming out, which is a self-paced self-paced symposium where it's called the everybody athlete symposium. And it's a focus on eating disorders and sports nutrition. We've got some incredible speakers who from U.S. Olympics, from Gatorade, from the NFL. Also, we have medical professionals and eating disorder specialists. So this is taking a really inclusive look at the intersection of sports nutrition and eating disorders. And that is launching September 1st. And you can learn more about that at edrdpro.com and click on courses. And you'll see a dropdown of all of our different events and courses. And then A little bit later in November, we're launching our brand new version 2.0 of our family-based treatment informed nutrition counseling for eating disorders with a therapist dietitian duo, Lauren Mulheim and Katie Grubiak and a couple other guest speakers. And it's going to be awesome. So excited for that. Yeah, that's exciting. What is the difference? I think you said in addition to membership, we have these courses. So you tell us about that. Sure. So we have kind of two different arms to EDRD Pro. One is the membership option where you can, you can check it out for a dollar for a trial month. And if you decide to stay on, it's $35 a month for professionals. And we have at least three events every month. And by events, I mean, we have one to two live continuing education webinars. This is all complimentary with membership. If you can't join live, everything's recorded and added into our webinar library where you can just log in and watch. We also have a case consult discussion group that's open to all members every month with a featuring a different guest expert every month. Those are also recorded if you miss them. And I really emphasize that members take time to watch some of those past case consults because they are incredible teaching tools. Yeah. So that's all complimentary with membership. We also have a BIPOC providers group that meets monthly. That's hosted by Angela Goins, who's our director of online education. And we have a monthly diabetes and eating disorder, weight neutral care group led by Aaron Phillips. And then outside of membership, we have an ARFID for dietitians course that was instructed by Dr. Katya Rowell. We have a binge eating disorder treatment course, 
ACT for Dietitians, which I love so much. ACT totally changed my life. Love that course. And we have the Adolescent FBT, Informed Nutrition Counseling. Mm. And there's more in the works and I can't really share about it yet, but I'm excited for 2023. Yes. Okay. And so feel free to take your time with this because it's kind of a loaded question. But if you were to take yourself back to entering the field of eating disorders, what do you wish you would have known then that you do know now? That's a great question. When I was entering the field, I think I would have wanted to learn much more about weight neutral pair and weight stigma because I just realized how what an impact that's having on all of our patients and how it's impeding access to care for so many people. I think as dietitians, we have the ability to kind of tackle these bigger structural issues, like as a group, as a field. And the more of us that know about the harm of fat phobia and weight stigma in this field, the the more likely it is to change and improve. And so that's something I didn't really come into and probably, you know, midway through my eating disorder career. And I think it's, it's one of the most important things we need to be focusing on. Mm-hmm. And I have been given permission to share that we are working on a toolkit for dietetic students in weight neutral weight inclusive care. So we all know that if there's a required portion of the course, it depends on the instructor who's teaching it, and they may just say, here, you have to watch this and read this and then move on. But then there may be others who who hear this podcast episode and think, okay, I'm teaching others coming up in the field. Maybe I want to learn more about it as well. Or just those who take it and say, this is what I've been looking for, is that weight neutral care, learning about weight stigma, diversity and inclusion and every aspect of our eating relationship. So I am so excited and and happy and relieved that this project is underway. Mm -hmm. It is that important. Yeah. Yeah. So. We will make sure to put the edrdpro.com in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Great talking with y'all. Great talking with you too. 